0: In this hour, very glad to have with us a great guest joining us. You'll learn a lot from them, and uh, I, I I know that this guest is addressing issues that are very near and dear to many, if not most, of your hearts as Americans and as voters. Tom Conway's in the House. He's International Vice President of the United Steelworkers Union. And Vice President Conway has led the union's efforts to enforce trade laws. Now, trade's big on America's minds. We saw that with the election. Targeting unfairly traded, subsidized, and dumped products. Also directing the union's work with the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. And he collaborates with employers and lawmakers to support American industry and jobs. He's also pushed for stiffer penalties, against unfair trade practices in order to protect American jobs, and not just in steel, but aluminum, rubber, mining, paper, other major sectors as well. He's lobbied lawmakers, testified numerous times before the International Trade Commission and the House Steel Caucus. He's worked with domestic steel producers to achieve tariffs that rescued companies from not just the brink, but entirely from bankruptcy. He's fought trade agreements that put the interest of multinational corporations and millionaires Ahead of workers. And as secretary of the USW Basic Steel Industry Conference, he's led collective bargaining efforts during very turbulent cycles in steel for about 20 years. Now, more than a pleasure and an honor to have with us Tom Conway, International VP of the USW. Mr. Conway, thank you for joining
1: us. Hi, Leslie. It's good to be back again.
0: Uh, and good to have you back uh, and to talk to you again. Um, trade. That, you know, this five-letter word is a four-letter word. Sometimes, when we look at some some yeah. things like TPP and whatnot, unfortunately, that's not going to go forward. And uh, that really helped Donald Trump, uh, you know, become president. But now uh, some people say that that it, whether you're looking at this president and this presidency, or w- whether you look at the WTO, the World Trade Organization, that U.S. trade enforcement is being undermined. Would you agree with that?
1: It really is a broken system, and um, and it's been broken so long that people sort of think that's the way it should work, and, and it really isn't. And you know, by the time we initiate a trade case, and you you see a company and a group of workers really getting pressured by unfairly and illegally traded products, you initiate a case, you gather your facts together, you build your case, you hire the team of lawyers and experts you need to do it, you get the case presented before the government, at the commerce department, at the at the International Trade Commission. You you can run eighteen months or two years. And during that period of time, those products that are that are being traded below the market value are just gutting your market. And so they're they're ravishing the community are hurting the company that made investments to try and stay in business in the U.S. And 18 months or or two years can just um, make it non-recoverable. So part of the problem is the length of time it takes to prosecute a case, to put it together, to bring it to, to litigation and, and get a decision, and then it can be appealed to the WTO, and, in, and the WTO has these panels, and these appellate panels, and, um, and unproportionally they rule against the United States. And, and so um, where you win a case and you have a proven violation of the law, this system just seems to be rigged against the United States. And, and look, Trump identified it, and he got a lot of people to understand that that all this trade that's been going on and this globalization for all these decades has hurt Americans, and it's, and it's robbed us of jobs and ability and growth opportunity, and it's hurt the manufacturing sector, where people um, earn a lot more money, frankly, than they do in the service sector and have typically better jobs. And that sort of hollowing out rang true with a lot of voters. And, and so now, finally, in some ways, it's getting the discussion it deserves.
0: I would agree wholeheartedly. This is not something that happened overnight, is it? I mean, American no. workers and and those of you in the field of manufacturing um, know firsthand that this has been an unlevel playing field, right? And that you know, manufacturing the the industry itself, American workers are a product of unfair trade policies and also inadequate trade law enforcement. How long would you say this has been going on?
1: Look, the 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 rules that set these up go way back, and and. We understand nations need to trade, and we believe America needs to trade. But trade needs to be balanced and fair, and it needs to be based upon you having a certain advantage and a a country having an advantage in another area, and so you balance those out. Right now, our trade balance is hundreds of billions of dollars out of balance and a deficit against China, against the world, in, in so many ways. And so the United States just loses on that imbalance year over year over year. But in 1995, the WTO came into existence, and, um, and that system of trade just frankly isn't working for us. You've, in, in many ways, the United States has given up its sovereignty to these panels, to these, um, to these global panels that are struck and who can then decide whether your laws are in compliance with the the way they view the WTO, and whether or not they like it, so they can sort of strike them down. And and that, that sense of having given up your market and having given up your jobs and your ability to make your own laws and stand by them and have them enforced and not have this global system operate against you, is sort of fundamentally what's going on. So, you know, we first saw it in the steel industry, we've seen it creep into the tire industry, into the glass industry, into the aluminum industry. And if you and if Americans stop and think about we've largely lost electronics we had a shoe industry and a textile industry that have gone all short, and little by little people say, well, you just have to accept it because, you know, you'll have some cheap consumer goods, but in the end, if you don't have jobs and you have, you don't have good family-sustaining jobs and you don't manufacture things in your nation, you can't run a complete service economy or one based on financial engineering, and manufacturing has been the base of America, which gave America its strength. Um, it formed a, the largest portion of its GDP for many, many years. And those things have been flipped on their head. And they're not good for our country, both in its growth, in our ability to, to offer young people opportunities, and, and in our research and development, when you lose your manufacturing you lose your research and development. People will follow it to be close to the factories where they're doing R&D. And so it ripples through so many things, and your patents get lost, and and often you go to do business in China. Countries like that will insist that you transfer your technology to them, and you take your blueprints and your ideas and your drawings, and you convert them to their language and give them to them. And, um, and it's just been... A system that very few people made a lot of money on, and and the rest of the nation has suffered.
0: We're going to take a break. We will be back after this with our guest. We have more to talk about with regard to trade, with regard to manufacturing, and with regard to enforcement of those trade laws, which is another measure where American workers are getting screwed, you as workers get screwed, because there are less jobs when these things aren't in play. And as you just heard, uh, this has been going on for years. We'll be back after this. Tom Conway is our guest, international vice president of the United Steelworkers. Tom, thank you for holding, and welcome back, Mr. Conway. Um, we were talking about the American workers, we were talking about manufacturers, and we were talking about how you and they, those groups of people, know firsthand about the unlevel playing field. Um, you know, I, I also want to talk about uh, the result of this unlevel playing field, and, and you touched upon it before the break. Uh, and that result is the closing of thousands of, of American factories and the loss of millions of jobs, which we have seen for decades. It's not just Bethlehem Steel, and it's right. not just in places like Buffalo, New York, Cleveland, Ohio, um, or you know Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, I- is it fair to say that the United States is, has been stiffed repeatedly by the World Trade Organization and that those that are stiffed are the American workers um, because of these factories being shut and these millions of jobs being lost?
1: I think it's fair to say that in the past decade and a half, two decades, America's lost over 60,000 factories and 6 million manufacturing jobs. And when those those jobs are lost in those communities, it's not just the people working in those factories who lose the jobs. The ripple effect is four or five jobs in that community. So if you're a nurse working in the hospital or the – or the urgent care center in that town, the benefits that were part of the employment package of that factory worker are no longer there, and people are not coming to your hospital or your urgent care center, or your barber shop, or your your grocery store, or or buying clothing in your community. And so everybody feels that when that happens, and when it happens on this magnitude, It is what then gets plywood up on windows in towns, and you see that all over the place. And so, to to and you know often a, a terribly used term is the Rust Belt. These aren't Rust Belt jobs. These you go into today's factories. There's a lot of robotics. There's a lot of technology. It's a lot of programmable logic control. These aren't old factories of the image that they give us on television and all you see is shut down steel mills. These are productive places that can't compete against a country who is using its ability to subsidize its its companies, to, to dump its products into your market. No one can compete against another country. So when this happens and the WTO stands behind it and you file a trade case, and you take it through that long process, an expensive process, to prosecute it, and then the WTO kind of rules against you and leaves you standing there. I mean, that's the frustration that America is beginning to understand. And I don't think they know that. I mean, average people don't follow this on a regular basis. They they know that there is something out there, that there are these trade laws. And they know instinctively they haven't been good for them. Everybody sort of knows someone in their circle of life who's had a job loss or an impact as a result of this and has had to collect trade adjustment assistance. And so you're 59 years old and you can go back to school. That's not an easy task for a lot of people, and it's and it's not reasonable. And when you do find a replacement job, you're, you're in there two-thirds of what you made in the past. And and so the effects to America are very, very real, and they've been going on for a very long time.
0: And, And another thing I want to talk about is NAFTA. Um, The North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, many people feel uh, that this was um, a a disastrous uh, agreement that should never have been signed. The United States never should have been a part of. Earlier this month, uh, there was at least some potential good news for those who have been laid off in the manufacturing sector. And that was that President Trump's administration unveiled a trade agenda that aims to punish countries that violate international trade laws, and even if that means ignoring unfavorable decisions by the WTO. Could you speak to um, that and to us with regard uh, to NAFTA, and if you think this is going to go the way uh, that is most beneficial to the American workers, especially in the manufacturing sector?
1: Look, I, I, you can't deny that, that the Trump administration has said they're going to do something about these things. So hopefully they follow through on that. And it's not just campaign rhetoric. And it, and I would think right now they intend to try and do something. NAFTA, though, was the beginning of a slippery slope, because following NAFTA came one called CAFTA, and, and one came normalizing trade relations with China. And it just sort of exploded. And so NAFTA is kind of the tip of the spear, and we see a lot of auto companies looking to locate in Mexico. We see a lot of auto parts companies looking to locate in Mexico, and that's only about... difference in labor costs I mean it's not about anything else it's about if you can get workers in Mexico to work for four or five dollars a day as opposed to paying twenty dollars an hour in the US that's what's going on so while it's 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 appropriate and it, it makes sense to target those countries that are doing that you also need to remember that those companies those countries are getting that work, oftentimes, from U.S.-based companies who are leaving here. And they're taking their product, and they're taking their work, and they're moving to places where they can take advantage and exploit that cheap labor. But they expect a right to ship their product right back into the market, which they left behind, and a community that they left with their pockets turned out, with no tax base, no jobs, and they'll rely on those laws in order to do that. And I think that needs to be identified as well. And so there has been a lot of strong rhetoric out of the administration. And on this, there, there's going to be a lot of things with this administration that our union's not going to be in agreement. On this, we are. And we think they have picked up on a message that we've been talking about for 20 years and are trying to do something about it. And, and we're going to stand with them on that. We think this system... Has done tremendous harm to us.
0: We're going to take another break. We'll be back. That was our shortest segment. Back after this with our guest. In the meantime, keep listening and follow on Twitter for the USW president, Leo Gerard at USW Blogger. Their website is usw.org. Back to Tom Conway, International VP of the United Steelworkers, right after this. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only true democracy in talk radio of four and by you, uh, the people. Uh, We are talking with Tom Conway, International Vice President of the United Steelworkers. Mr. Conway, thank you for holding and welcome back. Um, We have been talking about workers. We have been talking about the North American Free Trade Agreement. We've been talking about bad trade deals. And we've been talking about enforcement or lack thereof or bad enforcement of any kind of a trade deal. And uh, with specifics uh, to the uh, World Trade Um, organization. We were talking um, before uh, the break and about President Trump wanting to punish countries that violate international trade laws, um, even if that means ignoring unfavorable WTO uh, decisions. Actually, he said it would resist efforts by other countries or international bodies like the WTO to weaken the right and benefits of or increase the obligations under the various trade agreements to which the United States is a a party. And by the way, that was an agenda sent uh, to Congress by the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative. Um, There uh, was a report commissioned by AAM, the Alliance for American Manufacturing, and written by American trade law experts um, that support this action uh, by the president, correct? Can you talk about that and talk about the conclusion of that report?
1: Yeah, yeah, the report um, was put together by two prominent trade lawyers who we worked with, uh, Terry Stewart and Elizabeth Drake, and have helped us in numerous cases. And the Alliance for American Manufacturing is a coalition of the Steelworkers Union and other major uh, manufacturing companies in the United States. And we've taken a look at the trends of the WTO and what the WTO has produced since its Inception, and from 1999 to 2015, 13 percent of the cases that filed for um, with the WTO came out of the United States against, um, and but but the findings against us are 57 percent of the time the WTO has found against the United States in a trade remedy. And so each of those cases that we filed, um, there were 42 cases, and 38 of those separate decisions went against the U.S., five times more than any other member country. And there are 164 members of the WTO. And so there is this sort of inherent bias that seems to be built into the WTO that just on its surface and on its face indicates that each time the the U.S. tries to intercede on its own behalf and file a case against a violating country. And, you know, this isn't punishing countries for something they've done. This is really holding countries accountable to the agreement that they made when they entered the WTO. And so when they break that law and violate it, they get charged, and we file a case, and we try and write it and fix it with a tariff or or a quota or something that tries to level it back out. And each time, the WTO, in 90% of the cases, the WTO tries to say to the U.S., you can't do that. Now, in most cases, the the U.S. has acquiesced to it, but we're not required to. And essentially what Trump's administration has said, we're not going to just listen to the WTO anymore. And if that means stepping back from complying with their appellate decisions um, and and because they've gone beyond their mandate or they're trying to write or create new rights in that WTO agreement beyond what the agreement provides, then we're not going to feel bound by them. And And we think that's an important signal to send both symbolically and and substantively too. If if in fact that is what is happening and that's what the numbers bear out and we see these decisions time after time then we should not feel bound to an agreement when the other party isn't living up to their half of it and and frankly we think they're on the right track taking a strong approach against the WTO And, and so the report was commissioned by the alliance for american manufacturing using two of america's top trade attorneys who who've practiced at this bar for many years and understand the system and its complexities and um, and we think it's it's a good piece of work and so we're we're out there promoting it as well
0: in this conclusion as you you speak of it shows that the trade organization is overstepping its mandate <laughs> And disproportionately targeting U.S. trade remedy laws. And as a result, they're threatening the ability of the United States to defend American workers, to defend the manufacturers in this uh, nation from unfair trade. And let's look at some of those numbers, okay? The United States is one of 164 WTO members. Yet, it's been the target of 38 separate decisions in trade remedy disputes. That's five times more than any other member. So right. this isn't just like, this isn't you guys saying, oh, the WTO is bad. Um, I mean, the, the AAM, uh, which, you know, is backed by the USW and, and other unions and, you know, people like me as well who, you know, support what you are doing which is giving the facts. And right now in this, quote, fake news cycle, it's important for Americans to have the facts. And the facts is this is not a, a hollow accusation. Uh, this is, the numbers uh, bear this to be true, that the, the, the you know, U.S. trade remedy laws are targeted five times more than any other WTO member. That's unprecedented.
1: There, you know, we, we've talked about a lot about the harm that's done to our communities and to our workforces and to the companies um, that are here in the United States, but there's these things also attack. Right now, in the aluminum industry, we have lost. In 15 years ago, we had 25 smelters making aluminum. We are now down to five. And maybe four of them are operating. And so aluminum smelting in America has just gone away, shutdown after shutdown after shutdown. While the percentage of aluminum being produced in China has grown from 3 million tons to 30 million tons over that period of time. And that aluminum is depressing the world market. It's making aluminum prices unsustainable and difficult for people to continue to operate on. And we've seen no shutdowns here. So we we're, are we're going to see aluminum being produced, and and the U.S. will need to source it somewhere from either China, Russia, or the Middle East. And and so from a defense application, where the aerospace industry naturally uses a lot of aluminum, and our Air Force does, America could find itself in a position where those are its sources for national defense to go to the Chinese, the Russians, or the Middle East and say, we need to source aluminum um, for our for our defense needs. I mean, we, we are just backing ourselves into a place that's foolhardy to an amazing degree. And I think America doesn't see that or hear it or understand it often enough. And
0: this is something that you know, it may be in past election cycles hasn't mattered, but in the most recent election, the general election, the presidential election, this matters. And it doesn't just matter with regard to the seat of the president. We're seeing it matter uh, with regard to governors, certainly with regard to House and Senate members, and even statewide uh, legislators. Um, And I think we're going to see that more going forward. So, you know, politicians need to wake up and get on board, regardless if they have a D or R in front of their name on this, right?
1: There is not a congressional district in America that has not been impacted by this in a significant way. There is no one who is immune to this. And there are exporting. We have an export business. We don't nearly export as much as we take in. That's what forms our trade deficit. But No one in this country has not been impacted by it. No congressional district and no member of Congress ought to feel that this isn't my problem. This is someone else's problem. This has rippled across every sector of our nation.
0: Let's look at some more numbers. The United States accounted for less than 13% of trade remedy measures imposed by WTO members from 1995 to 2015. Yet... U.S. subject to 57.5% of the WTO's decisions in trade remedy disputes. Now, we we have just, you know, said these are just more numbers that back up, you know, more of what we've said. Um, Some people might ask... um, does the United States have to be a part of the WTO? Because, you know, Donald Trump has proposed to pulling out of a lot of entities, right. uh, you know, and not just with regard to trade. But I'm sure that's crossing some of the minds of people listening to our conversation right now. Is In other words, is there anything beneficial about being a part of the WTO? Or does America even have a choice with regard to that if we want to be part of the global trade economy?
1: Look, I think this global world is a reality. I, no one is, is saying that you could just completely isolate yourself off. But when you do trade with other nations, you have to do it on a basis of who has a comparative advantage, um, whether or not that trade is balanced and you're each getting a quid pro quo, and, and also frankly, whether or not the trade is just designed to take care, to take advantage of um, a country where you can get low-wage uh, work done without environmental regulation or oversight, in some cases child labor, if that's not a comparative advantage. That's not how you should structure your business because you can get that work done that way because that country has no oversight or no laws. And so the, the underpinning of some of the globalization that's gone on isn't based on the economics of transfer and and goods that are reciprocal to each other. It is based upon exploitation in many many instances. And and economists will tell you, well, that may be true, but look how bad they used to be. So you've moved someone from from starvation wages of two dollars a month to four dollars a day and. that a victory when you've given up all your jobs and you could use your leverage and access to this market which is the greatest market in the world everybody wants to come here to the US that's why they fight us so much and the appellates go against us so much and the WTO goes against us so much but you could use that access to do good and still keep jobs here and make sure that you're not part of a system that is just wearing down other peoples in the world because you can get something cheap. And, and there are just fundamental socioeconomic issues and issues of decency that need to be accounted for in this globalization system. And there need to be rules of the road. And just when when we went from an agricultural society and brought people from the farmland into the cities in the industrial revolution was chaotic and it was crushing people and it was terrible and it sprang up unions. And so laws became into place and there became to be some governance of what was going on. That yet has not happened on a global economy. And that's that's the turning point we're at. And if we can't get it right, and be able to have those discussions because of obstruction of things like a WTO appellate, then, then we need to think about should we play in it, and could we do it in a different way and use our leverage in a different way. And I think that's, that's a fair discussion that ought to be going on in America, ought to be examining our role in a global economy and whether or not we're facilitating bad stuff because we can get cheap stuff in a big box store.
0: We'll take a quick break. Very well said. I like that. I'm going to use that one. (laughs) Mr. Conway, back with you. Tom Conway, International Vice President of the United Steelworkers. The website for the USW is USW.org. On Twitter, follow them there at USWBlogger. And that is specifically the um, handle for USW President Leo Girard, who you all know very well. We'll be back after this. We are uh, talking with our guest from the USW. We continue our conversation, and I'm glad that you're a part of it here, as I am glad he is as well. His name is Mr. Tom Conway, International Vice President of the United Steelworkers. Mr. Conway, thank you uh, once again for holding uh, through that commercial break. No um, problem. Uh, a lot uh, to talk about. You know, We, we, we talked about numbers, right? Um, but... Uh, this is not just coming from unions. The concern, I mean, the concern comes from legal scholars, presidential administrations, members of Congress, not just Republican, as this president and the you know majority of Congress is right now, and even other WTO members have repeatedly expressed concern about one portion of the WTO, which is the appellate body, and it's that appellate body of the WTO that is going beyond its mandate. And actually, creating new rights and obligations beyond those contained in WTO agreements. So, how does anybody, on our, you know, here in the United States, fight the appellate body of the WTO?
1: Well, oh, look. I think if the appellate body has strayed from its original commission about what it's authorized to do and what it can do, um, then then the people who are part of the agreement are going to have to step up and say, look, we're going to find a way to put you out of business, or we're not going to comply with these decisions you make. And I think they run a risk of playing that game, and they have pushed it and pushed it and pushed it, and I think have pushed it against a country that they think won't push back at them, and I think they're seeing that. But but you are seeing that globally as well. There are a lot of people who are beginning to pay attention to that system. And whether that system is inherently fair in doing what it was designed to do—to balance against the the imbalances that are inherent in, in global trade—and um, and so other countries are stepping forward, uh, other academics, legal uh, profession, and are and are taking a look at whether or not. This is performing the way it's supposed to perform, and and looking at who's on the appellate bodies, and are they making um, decisions that are that are fair and are not biased, and they don't sort of carry uh, a representative from the countries they may be appointed on, and 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 so it's it's something that is getting the scrutiny that it deserves, and. And it's drawn this scrutiny on its own by, at least in the case of America, trying to find a way to rule against us 90% of the time on cases that we've been forced to bring up into that system. And, you know, eventually you learn enough times. I keep going back to the same place and I get smacked in the head. I'm going to quit going back there. And, and I think we're finally getting to a, a point where... Um, they're starting to feel lumps on their head.
0: Um, I don't disagree with you at all, and I thank you for taking the time and giving us so much of your time today, Mr. Conway. Thank you. Mr. Tom Conway, International Vice President of the United Steelworkers. Check them out. On Twitter, follow Leo Gerard, the president of the USW, at USW Blogger. The website for the USW is USW.org.